And we're going to jump into this. Acts chapter 4. Hechos, capítulo 4. Acts chapter 4. You may remember that the Holy Spirit fell and the church was birthed. It's now been three months is where we're at in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The church is three months old, three months earlier. The Holy Spirit fell on people, and now we come to verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Scholars tell us this is 5,000 men. This is probably at least 15,000 humans that are now a part of the church. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others in the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk a little bit about persecution. I was recently in a pastor's meeting where there were college fans from around the country, and there was someone from Alabama that was uh, sort of ribbing me for being a Gator fan. They know that I, I think I was wearing something that was like a Gator polo shirt, and then there was someone that, from another country, you know, from some other, you know, whatever culture you want to call Georgia, they from Georgia, and someone from these, these different places, and anyway, one of them was just kind of ribbing me over something that had just happened, and, uh, you know, it was just sort of an encounter. I said, hey, guys, can we, can we just dial, this is like a pastor's meeting where we're supposed to be thinking about the kingdom. I said, you know, guys, in heaven, there's not going to be any division, you know, like up in heaven. Do you guys all know in heaven, there's, there's just one. There's not like different sections. There's, it's, it's really, there's, there's just one heaven, and we're all united in heaven. And up in heaven, there, there's going to be representatives from all the, all the different schools. You know, the, you, Bobby Bowden might be representing Florida State. You know, Reggie White might be representing Tennessee. Mark Richt might be representing Georgia. And then representing the Gators will be Jesus, because... The, <laughs> The sun is orange and the sky is blue. I just said, so can we just all be united right now? Can we be united about this? And of course, they didn't take that very well, and I cast them out. But if you're a Gator fan, then if you love the Gators, there's a very good chance that in some place in the southeastern United States, there's some possibility that you're going to receive some pushback or some version of ribbing that's going to take place. But it's not just your, your football fandom or college fandom that's going to create something like this. What we find in Scripture is that if you love Jesus, there's going to be pushback. 
There's no way around this. Up until this point in the book of Acts, there's been highlights and there have been healings and there have been good things that have taken place. In fact, indeed, in chapter 3, a lame person gets healed in the name of Jesus and yet it's causing trouble. Because wherever the name of Jesus goes, there will be trouble that comes. If you're going to follow Jesus, I want to be very clear with you on the front end right now. You need some thick skin if you're going to stand for Jesus. One of the more influential trips of my life was actually one that Pastor Lastinger was going to go on, and then I ended up sort of taking his place. It was in Pakistan. It was the first time I went to a country where, where there is widespread persecution. As soon as I landed, they had suggested that all of the Americans evacuate. In fact, all of the foreigners evacuate as there were people going on, I mean, on, on loudspeakers saying, find foreigners, drag them in the streets, and kill them. Like, literally, that's happening while I'm there. And so I'm talking to different churches and leaders, and I would go to different cities. Every single city that I went into, I was surprised to know that there were church buildings, but the church buildings were different than what we have here. Here it's lovely, and there's lights, and there's all these sorts of things. And every single city I went in, there was the damage in the physical edifice as a result of gunshots and grenades. And I would walk into places where you would see and I'm not trying to be graphic, I'm just telling you the absolute truth. I would walk into places where you would see up in the ceiling uh, j- just holes where people's skulls had to be pulled out when grenades had been thrown in. I remember I would meet the, the widows and the orphans that were in the church for people that did not deny their faith, that were given the chance to deny their faith, and yet they would not And it was a sobering trip while I was there to go and to look in the eyes of believers that when they come to a passage like this today where we come to find Peter and John being thrown into jail, they would say, well, of course, because if you follow Jesus, there will be danger. He never promised it would be safe. Sometimes I worry about us Christians that we turn on Christian radio and and the tagline is, it's safe music for little ears, and yet I'm not sure what the little ears need is safe music, but candid music that lets you know if you want to follow Jesus, it just might get hard. I was talking to someone at Texas A&M, and they were describing how the, the discipleship culture at Texas A&M kind of uh, reflected some of the culture of Texas A&M, which was there's people that might go into the military, and they already know that it may require a cost, that, that to follow Jesus, like to go in to become a Navy SEAL or to become part of the Marines, might, no one's going to walk in saying, oh my gosh, that you're going to wake me up at 6 in the morning? Dang it. I thought I was just going to have a nice, easy time. And there can be some confusion because when I became a Christian, I think the most common phrase I heard in Christian circles was this one. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Who's ever heard that? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that is true. God does love you, but I think we might need to be careful about how we describe the phrase wonderful plan. Because the wonderful plan might be something different than what we would think that it is. And there is often confusion when we come to follow Jesus because there's a little bit of a karma believer in all of us that that if I'm good, that good things are going to happen to me. That if I'm faithful, that life is going to go easy. That if I'm really um, obedient, that that there's going to be a a level of, I don't know, just just good ease. Especially, Especially in America, we love ease. 
We, we like pillows and, and beautiful uh, beds, and we like Teslas, and we, like, and we don't like red lights, and we don't like stuff, and we don't like drama, and we hate waiting on customer service, and, and we hate getting stuck on a phone call. And, and, but it's, it's like, could you imagine a player walking up to a coach, and he says, Coach, man, right now, the, you know, we're about to hit the final four, and he said, man, Coach, oh, just bought, I mean, I was trying to go out and score some baskets, and those other guys were trying to stop me. Can, can you imagine a player that said, man, coach, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to shoot some free throws, and all the fans, they're waving right behind the basket, and they're making all this noise, and, and they're saying, you stink, and you can't, can't they just be quiet while I'm trying to do, and of course, the coach would say, listen, you all-star you. The question is not if you can score a basket, because America is loaded with people that can score baskets. The question is, can you score a basket when there's five other guys on the other side of the court getting in your face and daring you to go through them? And a lot of church, even right now, a lot of what church is, it's like this, right now we're in a huddle. We're in a huddle where we can get up and we can say amen and we can say things that the reality is, it's when we break the huddle when your enemies are in your face, can you love your enemies in the real game? Can you stand the pressure when you get in the real game? And that's where we come today when it comes to persecution because the, the Bible is just very realistic. In fact, the book of Acts is very realistic. We see persecution hitting in Acts chapter 4. It comes again in Acts chapter 5. It comes again in Acts chapter 6. It hits again in Acts chapter 7. It hits again in Acts chapter 8. In fact, all through this book, we find this message. God never said this would be easy. He did say it will be life. The best coaches go to their players and they say, I'm not telling you this is easy. I'm telling you that if you work this plan, if you'll come on this journey with me, if you will work the process, what I'm telling you is when this is done, you will know the joy of seeing championships. You are going to know the joy of watching what took place. But God never said this would be easy. He said it would be life. And real life is not easy. Good marriages are not easy. Great homes are not easy. Good ministry is not easy. Great microchurches don't come easy. Great teams don't come easy. Great organizations don't happen by accident. In, in the scripture we find, if you want to follow Jesus, here's a, a verse from 2 Timothy. Paul says, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How many? All. This is what Jesus says. Every single person that desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So where I want to go with the rest of this sermon is this, really just this question. How do we handle persecution? If you have never started following Jesus, I'm going to invite you to follow him today. If you've never begun following Jesus, today is the day I want you to follow Jesus with all of your heart. Mike, what would you tell me? God loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. And you will suffer persecution. That's if you want to follow Jesus. Now, I do want to say a quick warning real quick because... If you are suffering no persecution, according to scripture, there is a question to ask, which is, are you desiring to follow Jesus with all of your heart? I'm not saying we go looking for trouble. We're not looking for a fight, but I'm telling you we don't run from trouble either because we follow Jesus and everywhere he went, <laughs> there were riots that broke out, it seemed, and the same thing happened in the book of Acts. 
So how do we handle persecution? Three thoughts. Number one, I've already said it basically, but it's this. Number one, don't be surprised. How do we handle persecution? Don't be surprised. In verse one, we find that the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter while they were speaking. They were greatly disturbed or annoyed. It's a Greek word that means to be sickened or fatigued or exhausted. They're like, oh, we don't want any more of this. A man has been healed and they use this as an opportunity to preach Jesus and the resurrection. I want you to notice the the council, the Sadducees, they had no problem maybe with doing a nice good work. No one's got a problem with us doing good. No one's got a problem when we start hospitals. No one's got a problem when we heal people. No one's got a problem when we help the poor. No one's got a problem when we go and do relief work. No one's got a problem if you go to Ukraine and you do something about the shrapnel in the ground. No one's got a problem with anything until you drop the name of... That's when it comes. <laughs> I've been asked to pray in, in some settings before. And like, hey, but when you pray, can you just not say this one word? Guess what the word is? And I'm like, but you do understand that the power is in the name of Jesus. And lives get changed in the name of Jesus. And the strong tower that your life needs is the name of Jesus. And the hope that gets restored to your life is when you apply the name of Jesus. And lives have power to, to take an entirely different direction when they embrace the name that's above all the other names, which is the name of Jesus. So don't be surprised is the, is the first thought here. In the Gospels, the primary enemy of Jesus was the Pharisees. The, the, in, in the Pharisees got a lot of press and church preaching and all of that. Everyone's concerned about the Pharisees. We use them as a synonym for the hypocrites. But I want you to understand, and you're going to see this if you read through the book of Acts, that in the book of Acts, really the Sadducees begin to take on a larger portion of the persecution quotient against the church. The Pharisees were like the right-wing conservatives. The Sadducees were like the left-wing liberals. The Pharisees, while they were hypocritical, judgmental, condescending, they still believed in God's word. They believed in angels and demons and the afterlife and heaven and hell. The Sadducees were different. There were different brands of Judaism, and one of them was the Sadducees. The Sadducees, were, they had political clout. They really were in, in, the, in, in the temple. They had access to the money. They were more tied to Rome. But the Sadducees were especially known for the fact that they, they were much more naturalistic. They, they did not believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe in hell. They did not believe in heaven, which is why they were so sad, you see. Okay, I just couldn't help it. The Sadducees were... They, they, they were this, this other group that were very natural. In other words, they had a religion that sounded a lot like what I hear right now, which was, listen, man, there's no problem believing in, you know, believe in God and believe in religion and believe in all the stuff, but, but don't give me that pie in the sky, life after death. It's what really matters is what happens in the here and now. In church, to be sure, if you're preaching a pie-in-the-sky pietism that leads you to heaven when you die, but it does not affect the earth that you live in, that is a pharisaical aberration of what Scripture teaches. But let's get crystal clear. 
Those who make the biggest difference in this life are the ones who have their minds the best on the next. Just to be clear, and this notion when people have when they say, oh, you're being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, you cannot be heavenly minded and not become earthly good because when you actually look at heaven, you see a broken heart of a God who cares so much about what happens on earth. But when you try to change the earth without getting the eyes of the God of heaven, you always twist it and you either become a Pharisee that leans right or a Sadducee that leans left. But the gospel of Jesus is offensive to both people that lean to the left and to the right. And the question is, if you want to follow him, are you willing to get the favor of God even if it means you lose the favor of humans? That is the question. Because some, I, I walk in some circles, and they're Pharisees, and I walk in some circles, and they're Sadducees, and then if you walk with Jesus, what I'm telling you is stop trying to fit in with Pharisees or Sadducees. And stop all the what about them, what aboutism about like, well, well, the, the Sadducees aren't as bad as the Pharisees in this area. The Pharisees aren't as bad as the Sadducees in that area. Let me tell you, Jesus would say it like this. Do you think these are any worse sinners than anybody else? That's how Jesus would speak. You fill in the blank on whatever your big sin is, whether it's, whether it's abortion or whether it's sexual or whether you fill in the blank on whatever. Do, do you think one kind of sin, Jesus says, unless we all repent, we likewise perish. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to be on Jesus' track right here. So it says in verse 3, they, they seized them. And so they, they seized them and they put them in jail. I remember when missionary Sam, who, who comes to our church, and everybody over here loves missionary Sam because we always talk about the way he rescues children out of sex trafficking. Sam has now, Andrea, how many children have been rescued now through Sam's ministry? Is it 20,000, something like that? 10,000? I forget how many ch- slaves have been rescued. Talking modern underground railroad, your, your church, we are a part of, of Sam rescuing slaves. We don't, we're not just talking about it, it happens. It, it's, it's happening right now, this year. That's what's happening. Here's the catch. Over here, everybody approves of rescuing slaves because in America, everyone's against slavery now. Not 200 years ago, but now we are. So everyone's for, down with that. One of the trips he comes over here, when he gets back to his country, they're not so down with that. So when he gets back over there, because he did it in the name of Jesus, I mean, I, the reason I know is because on one of the, you know, we couldn't find him. We're trying to get a hold of him. And I, when he was back over here, I was trying to take him. I said, hey, you want to go to the gym with me? He went to the gym, and I was just, we were just going to get down on the ground and do something. And he couldn't do that. There, there are certain moves, there are certain ways that his body doesn't bend anymore. And part of the reason was, like, on one of the trips, when he was over here, when he got back, they detained him, and he was beaten. Didn't get killed, but he was literally beaten for his faith and proclaiming Jesus. So everyone, like over here, we're, we're all fine with rescue slaves, but once you do something in the name of Jesus, because over there, they're not just rescuing slaves, they're also proclaiming Jesus. And because of that, in his country, where he gets pushed back on this, he literally bears in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. They have corporate sermon planning in their church staff because he assumes at any moment he could get killed. So he needs someone else to be able to preach the sermon he was going to preach on that Sunday when he's getting... So when they do sermon preparation, they have multiple people ready to go on any given time because he knows at any given moment he might give his life. Now, I like other people being able to be ready, but I'm usually not thinking of something like being dead because of 
my faith, I'm thinking of something like, well, COVID could happen or, or you know, something silly like that. But you've got an idea that, not that that's silly, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just thinking these are much smaller compared to the fact that I'm gonna go die. And here's missionary Sam that when he, when, I just want you to see that the scripture would tell you, don't be surprised. There's a part of our faith that you can handle a punch when you know it's coming. If you said, Mike, I'm gonna punch you in the stomach, I'd say, okay, give me a second. <clears throat> now go. What really trips us up is when someone walks up, yo, what's up, and then they punch you in the stomach. You're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Church, let me just give you the word. You're gonna get punched in the stomach. If you follow Jesus, you're going to get made fun of. If you bring your Bible to school, someone may look down on you. If your boss tells you they want you to compromise in some area and you know that following Jesus, you will not lie. You will not cover something up. You're not going to do something that's illegal. You're not going to do something that breaches your integrity. And, and they say, but everybody does it. But you can't because you follow Jesus. If, if you're on a date with someone and they're like, hey, you know, let me just go a little further. And you're like, no, the, that, that's off limits. They're like, you yeah, know, but, but we love each other. Yeah, but we're not married. So, you're like, oh, come on, man. You're not one of those Pharisees. I'm not a Pharisee, but I'm also not a Sadducee. So you're going to be sad, you see, unless you take your hands off me until you do something like that. Man, why? The answer, and it always comes back, it's the, always the same answer. You think you're better? No, it's Jesus. You think you're stronger? No, it's Jesus. Why? Jesus. Why won't you lie? Jesus. Why won't you compromise? Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the answer. You think you're better? No, I'm probably worse than you in a thousand ways. It's, but as much as I can, I want to represent Jesus. He's the one that saved me, not you. Don't be surprised. John 16, Jesus says, these things I've spoken that you may have peace. Everyone say, pass. These things I've sp spoken that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. What's the worst they can do to you? Mike, they could kill me. And where do you go? Uh, that, by the way, if, if you think that's pie in the sky, you've really missed the gospel so far. Mark 4, Jesus describes a parable of, of different grounds. He describes four different grounds where a, a sower sows seed under four grounds. One, only one of them is good. Three of them are not good, and they don't produce the fruit of the kingdom. One of them is described, though, as the stony ground. It's right here in Mark chapter 4, 16. He says, the stony ground, these are those that hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, and they only endure for a while. And when tribulation comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. And we are watching this right now because, man, church, listen, we cannot look down on anyone. We cannot judge anyone. Only God is the judge. If you, if you know the gospel, you've got to understand, man, someone could be an atheist, does not believe in God, and they're a better person than you. So if you're like, if someone says, do you think you're better than everybody else? I think I'm probably worse than everybody. When you know the gospel, you are very in touch with the reality that you are saved by the grace of God alone right? Like, you get it. You're like, oh my gosh. That's why if you see someone from another religion, you can't look down on them. You're like, man, in fact, you can esteem them. 
You know, I was talking to a Muslim guy recently that just really loved the poor. I'm like, man, you just, you love the poor. So you, you're embodying what scripture talks about so much better than me in this area. I'm like, ah, oh, you can esteem a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, an agnostic, and anything. You can esteem anything. There, there's no, there was never a sniff of condescension that came from the Apostle Paul or Jesus from people. And there should not be from us. At the same time, I need you to understand that there's a lot of falling away that's happening right now because there are some parts of God's word that disagree with our world. And when the world does not like what his word says, there are people that are backing off and shrinking back. Like, oh, um, what the Bible says about your money, you're supposed to share it. What it says about sexuality, what it says about selfishness, it's, it's so much easier to sort of white out some of the parts of the Bible that we, and what Jesus said was that the wrong ground, see, the only way to approach Jesus is like this, Mike Pats reporting for duty, sir. You are the Lord, you are the king, and I am not. Whatever you say is the way that it's gotta go, even when it goes against the way that I would really wanna do it naturally, because I understand, you know what I don't know. You're the king. That's why the confession that saves his soul is not if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your homeboy. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your buddy. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is, even listen, he is a friend of sinners, but that's not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> to the glory of God the Father. That's the, that's the confession. No, he's gentle and patient and kind. Is anyone in here besides me glad that he is a gentle, lowly, meek, patient, long-suffering Savior? Anybody glad? <laughs> Number one, you, we, we need to not be surprised. And, and enough of this, I keep on hearing Christians reiterating this. Well, the only problem the world has with the church right now is hypocrisy. And by the way, the church is a mess right now. Like there are pastors and churches that are falling and the, the, it is a mess. Like it, there is an absolute, and, and listen, the world does hate hypocrisy, but I need to let you know something. Even if there's no hypocrisy, once you open that book, you're gonna have trouble. I just, I need all of you guys, I need you bracing yourself for this because some of you that are like, man, I'm gonna start reading my Bible every day. The dangerous thing about the Bible is the Bible. Because it's true. And when there is a culture that does not love truth, there's going to be moments. And, and again, we, we got to be kind and gentle and lowly and meek, but candid and truthful and honest. I remember when I was in Pakistan, I, I, I've never tasted coffee. Like I'm, not a, like, I'm not a coffee drinker. I very much value energy that does not come from drugs. Did you catch that? I'm just playing. But I've never tasted coffee. But when I was in, they don't do coffee in Pakistan. They do, they do tea. And I do like sugar. So like my, you know, like, so I do like sweets. And they will make this tea with cream and sugar. And it was incredible. Like just, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm drinking this stuff like you guys drink coffee. I mean, I was like, you know, wow. And uh, it was amazing. And this, this one woman was making it all the time, and, and, and she was just, just, she just loved Jesus. She was so, her and her kids would serve this tea to us at the, at the church we were at. And I was hearing the story, one of the guys was just describing a story because there were, 
they will go out boldly into the streets of Pakistan and they, and they preach. In fact, while we were there, one of the things that we did was they said, let's go do a, let's go do a meeting in the outdoor. I'm like, in the outdoors? <laughs> I mean, there's machine guns everywhere, and I kid you not. We're going to have meetings in the outdoors. I'm like, for what? <laughs> like, you know, there's just about three, three days in and out. I'm like, can we just go door to door or something? Like, no, we're going to bring the crowds. We're going to pray for the sick, and God's going to show up and move because people are desperate for the power of God. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm thinking, well, who do you want to speak? They, we want you to speak. I said, but I don't think they want anyone speaking. They said they don't, but you get to leave. We have to stay. So if they see you, then, you know, when you're gone, they can't hit us. I'm like, yeah, but I'll be here for three days. <laughs> they said, but we're going to be here for the next 50 years. Can you preach? I'm like, I can if you think that would be, we think that would be best. Well, how will I do? They said a translator. One of the translators was a guy whose name was Raj. Raj was... They were telling me the story of a, tra- a translator that was named Raj. I didn't meet him. Raj was translating during one of the meetings that they had where someone was preaching, and they were saying, following Jesus is worth your life. Following Jesus is worthy of your all. Following Jesus is it's life. It's, he is the way and the truth. And they're just speaking of the splendor and the majesty and the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And they're saying all these things, and... And Raj is doing this, and then they got toward, toward the end of their message. And in Pakistan, the way they do altar calls is this. I want you to follow Jesus, but if you do. And then they, they have this disclaimer at the end of their sermons. This might cost you everything. You may lose your job. You may lose a child. You may lose a finger. You may lose your life. And Raj was, the person was preaching, and as Raj was interpreting, he began to weep. The, the preacher wasn't weeping, but he was weeping. And he just sort of added to the sermon as he said, this could cost you everything. But he is worthy. And the value of the object is known by the price that is paid for the object. And he just wept sort of in an, unusual way in that sermon interpretation translation and they said God moved on him in some powerful way and it was as if he knew something and certainly he seemed to have known something because within a couple of weeks he was in the streets and his life was taken and his his wife and two children were left husbandless and fatherless and they were the family that was serving me the tea and I looked at her, and she said, I want you to tell him. Tell, because I couldn't speak to Urdu, and she didn't speak English. And, and through the translator, she said, I just need you to know, Jesus has just been so good to us. He's just so good. They lived in some rooms in the upstairs of the church where they met. They had no home. They had nowhere to go. They had no safety. They, they had no life insurance policy. They had nothing but the church. And she said, but Jesus is so good. Tell people he is worthy of our all. She did not regret, she did not bemoan, and she was not bitter. And she served me the best tea, and every time I ever taste tea now, I think of the family of Raj. Church, number one, don't be surprised. Can we we stop telling the players that you're going to go win championships without getting up earlier than everybody else? Can we stop making us think that we're going to be able to go change the culture 
without the name of Jesus? And can we stop telling people that everyone loves Jesus because I think people think they might love Jesus, but they haven't read him yet. Number one, don't be surprised. Number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. By what name did you do this? They said, by the name of Jesus. It's so fascinating because it says that he stood before the elders. This would have been the Sanhedrin, by the way. The, the, the Sanhedrin was like the Senate and the Supreme Court of the early Jewish people. There was 70 members. They had a high priest who was the president of the Sanhedrin. Peter is now standing before the exact same council that put Jesus on the cross. I just imagine in my mind, someone in that council must have had a conviction when the Son of God was before them, and they said, let's go crucify him. You have to know there had to be a, something in the pit of some of their stomachs, like, wait a minute, this is the dude that heals people. This is the guy that makes the blind see. This is the one that says, forgive your enemies. There had to be some level of conviction, and yet they went along with the mob mentality because the social media pressure has always been big. Last thing you want is to be canceled. And so you go along and you... You indict and condemn the only begotten Son of God. And now Peter stands before the same people. And I, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where, like, I don't know, they, they, they push someone off a cliff in their car and the car blows up and, and, and you're like, oh, good. And then, like, you know, 20 minutes later they come back. I love this line in movies when the bad guy says, why won't you just die? I have to wonder if they thought they put this whole name of Jesus thing to rest when they crucified him. And here we are weeks later, and there's a guy that's been healed. He's over 40 years old. Everybody knows about him. And they're like, in what name? They, they set it up. They're like, because they ask him, in what name or by what power have you done this? To which Peter's like, well, since you asked, it was the name of Jesus. Why won't you stay dead because he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. Church, I'm telling you, in this world you may have trouble and you may even have a crucifixion, but with every crucifixion there comes a resurrection. In the name of Jesus, it's going to get you into trouble, but the same God that gets you into trouble is the one that gets you out of trouble. I would rather get into trouble with God and get out of trouble with God than to stay out of trouble with humans and be in trouble with God. I'm just telling, I'm not looking for trouble. What I'm telling you is we got to go follow Jesus. In what name did you do this? They said, in the name of Jesus. And he goes and he gives this description. He says, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And here's the question. What is emboldening this Peter that just weeks earlier denied Jesus before a slave girl? And now he stands before the Sanhedrin and stands up boldly. And the answer is, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, when you're feeling lacking boldness, pray for the Holy Spirit. When you're in a conversation and you don't know what to say and you can feel yourself shrinking back, pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not your power, it's his and then he, and I, and I love this, he, he gets there, he says, oh, Israel, I know you're putting me on trial. I'm going to go ahead and put you on trial. You guys crucified him. And bad news for you, good news for you, you couldn't keep him dead because he rose from the dead. And that's when he gives this amazing thing. And he says, this is the man that stood before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected and has become the chief 
cornerstone. Now, I was reading this, and it's, it's an obscure verse from Psalm 118. It's the same paragraph where we get, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. But he says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, I don't know if it's, if it's a myth or if it was a fable or if this happened, but the story goes in Jewish circles that when they were building the Temple of Solomon, and I think we have sort of an image, one of the great wonders of the world, when they were building the Temple of Solomon, that they, they were taking the, the big boulders that were going to go into the building of this, and they made these stones so precise and perfect that you couldn't even stick a piece of paper or a blade between them. And they were so perfect, they didn't even need concrete or any kind of glue to keep them together. But so that they wouldn't contaminate the holy place, they had all of this happening off-site. All, all the stuff was being done by the masons off-site. Then they would come back and bring it on-site. And they would bring it into that place. And they would then compile it there. Well, as they were building the temple, they, they were kind of putting the things in it just fit perfectly, one upon the other. And they're building this great temple. But there was this one stone they got him. It just was like an odd shape. And they're like, okay, this must just be a, this is just a wrong stone. And so they, they threw it to the rubbish heap. Kind of threw it down. Some people say that it went down like the Valley of Kidron. They threw it down the Kidron Valley, just this big stone. And so they kept on building and they had finished the temple and it was all a done deal. And by the time they got to the end of it, they, they were missing, they're like, wait a minute, we're missing the actual most important stone, which was the capstone, or it's called the cornerstone. And so they sent word back to the Masons, and they said, hey, we're missing the cornerstone, and you didn't send it. They said, no, you're mistaken. We actually sent it like a month ago. And then one of them remembered, oh, wait a minute. The stone that the builders rejected was actually the cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected was actually the cornerstone. Because you can build a whole life that looks so right, but if you don't get the right cornerstone, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And he says, the, the stone that the builders, Peter is preaching Psalm 118 to the Sanhedrin when he says, don't you get it? When the cornerstone showed up, you guys threw him to the rubbish heap. Don't you get it? When the cornerstone, when the most important stone came, you guys rejected him. But the stone that was rejected on a cross was actually the cornerstone to which the builders of the temple said, oh, well, bring it back. And they went down to the valley and they brought it back up and they put it in there and that became the capstone of the temple. And church, there's an application for you and me because your life is never going to be right until you got the right cornerstone. Your life is never going to fit together and stay together. It may look good for a minute. I'm telling you, when the trouble comes, when the earthquakes come, when the storms come, when the difficulties come, when the persecution comes, when the trials come, you better have the right cornerstone. And there is only one cornerstone that works in this world, and guess what his name is? It's by the name of Jesus that a life holds together. It's by the name of Jesus that a life can endure trials and temptations. And dip. It is by the name of Jesus. And so I say today, don't be surprised. Number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and finally, I'm just going to call you to not back down. How do you endure persecution? I'm going to close just by reading to you a story. I, I just, this is one of my favorite books. I read this to my children. It's called Jesus Freaks. 
and it just tells, I, I get up and I, I read these stories. The communists, the communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. As the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. He said, hand me your Bible. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over the Bible, his prized possession, and with a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. He says, we will let you go, but first you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey their fo- the officer's order. A soldier pointed a gun at one of the men. He says, you first. The man slowly got up and he knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it and he said, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier nudging a woman forward in tears. She could barely do what the officer demanded. She spit only a little, but it was enough. She too was allowed to leave. Without being asked, quietly a young girl came forward, a teenager, 16 or 17 years old. Overcome with love for her Lord, she knelt down, she picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. She says, Lord, what have they done? Please forgive them. The communist soldier put his pistol to her head, then he pulled the trigger. She went to be with her Lord. I could tell you a hundred stories right now that I've heard from the mission field right now as we speak of brothers and sisters of ours that are not backing down and keeping their eyes on Jesus and paying the price whatever the cost. The stunning thing is that the effect is always the same. It's like the missionary that Oswald Sanders talks about that went into a, a tribe and in India, and when he, when he went there to go preach, they scorned him and mocked him, and he had, he had already got a long day, and he didn't know if he should just rest, but he didn't rest. His feet were literally bleeding, and, and they, they didn't listen to a thing he said. He felt so discouraged, and he went outside the village, and he knelt down underneath a tree, and he just went to sleep. When he woke up, the entire village was surrounding him, and he thought perhaps they were going to do something to him physically, but they woke him up and they said, sir, we'd like to start over. When we saw you laying there, we saw that your feet were bloody. And we realized if you have bloody feet, you must be a holy man. Will you tell us your story again? I think sometimes we've underestimated the effect of, of watching people that have paid the price and the effect that it has on other people. There are more brothers and sisters of ours right now in this world that are suffering for the cause of Jesus than have ever in all of human history, just so you understand. A lot of us, we're, we're so distracted by social media and what's happening at the president's office or what's happening in the Supreme Court. We're so distracted by the myopic visions of what's happening in our culture that we are virtually unconscious of the realities of our brothers and sisters around the world that are laying down their lives. And as they do, they say, all glory to the lamb who was slain. And it causes people everywhere because everywhere they die, it's odd. The the people, it's it's just like in the book of Acts. It says they're being persecuted. And now there's 5,000, 15,000. The more they get persecuted, the more they grow. There's this strange dynamic that if you follow Jesus, there's, there's going to be pushback, but when we follow him, there's going to be an explosion. I mean, friends, we've got Easter coming up. I commission us 
let's go, let's go compel them in the highways and byways to come here of the message of our king who didn't just get his feet bloodied, but his, his body was bloodied. Let's be bold. Let's step out. Let's, I mean, let's put signs in our yards and invitations in people's hands and gospel on our lips. But when you go today, will you freshly keep your eyes on Jesus in a way that you realize, wait a minute, I'm, 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 not, I'm not gonna judge anybody. I'm not gonna be unkind, but I'm not gonna back down anymore. I don't know how you need to respond, but I will tell you this, the way that you know the value of an object is by the price that was paid for the object. The ultimate persecution happened on a cross 2,000 years ago where Jesus was persecuted for my sins and yours. And he didn't say a word. And he suffered for love because he loves you. The object, you, me, was worthy of the price to him. That's how much he loves you. I never stand for him out of guilt. I only stand for him out of love because he's done what no one else can do. And if you're here today and you've not put your faith in him, I dare you to do it. I'm not promising you it will be easy. In fact, to the contrary, God might take you to Ukraine. God might send you to some country or God might do something in this country where one day this faith costs your life. And what I'm telling you is even if it does, it'll be worth it.